Welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast, brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed, providing expert support and advice across all your corporate finance, due diligence, tax and accounting needs. BDO have been a champion of our industry for many years and are really proud to support many of the best brands in hospitality. If you want to make sure your business is in the safest of hands financially, BDO would love to take you for a coffee to understand your business vision so that they can help you get there. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how BDO can help take your hospitality business to the top and please say that I sent you. Supersonic. 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 From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The rocket fuel podcast for food, drink, and hospitality businesses everywhere. Listen up. Tell all your friends and share with your colleagues. Every single episode is packed full of tips, tricks and advice on how you can make your brand boom. So it's the morning after the night before for the CGA Peach 2020 Heroes and Icons Awards. I hope anyone listening that went to it didn't have too much of an axe between their eyes from a hangover. I missed out this year and regrettably because I'm finishing up my mini MBA from the wonderful Mark Ritson at Marketing Week. So nearly there. I've got one more week, but I've got segmentation paralysis at the moment and I'm trying to sell copiers, photocopiers to a made up land called Copyland. So yeah, Uh, wish me well. I'm very, very concerned about that. But today I was really excited when I woke up and I've got three podcasts today in terms of recording. And the first one is starting with a bang. And it's Mr. Mark Fox, who is the CEO at Roadchef, the amazing service station group of brands. Mark and I go back a long way to his Bill's days and slightly before Lucky enough to help Mark this year with some repositioning work for Road Chef, and I'm really glad to see them making a good fist of it. It's a great episode, so much great stuff in terms of leadership, bringing on your people, and amazing stories from Yum Brands through to Starbucks to Bills, and of course through to Road Chef. So it gives me the most fast lane pleasure ever to introduce my next guest, who is the amazing, incredible and charming <laughs> Mr. Mark Fox. Hi, Mark. How Hello. Are you? Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming <laughs> along. Annie, you've surprised me with some gifts. I have. Yes. I always bring a gift. <laughs> if, Marta, if Marta can bring you a gift, I can bring you a better gift. That's the, that's the plan. So you're now a, a, an official VIP of the Road Chef Estate nationally. So... Congratulations. Thank you. And I've done literally nothing to deserve that. So <laughs> oh, I don't think that's entirely true. <laughs> so thank you. Um, so today you've got a nice day because there's a bit of this and then you've got some other more casual appointments, Indeed. which is lovely. Yeah. And um, yeah, I guess 
I know a bit of this stuff because mm. we've known each other for a few years. Mm. But I thought it was really important to talk about you and your story um, and, and really just talking about how you came to be, what you're doing now and what's happening there, the future and, and all these things. So right. if we go back to when you're a wee boy and unbearded, um, <laughs> <laughs> where did it all start? Where did the hospitality thing start? kind of pretty early days i reckon so i've always loved food uh, as is probably evident if you've met me um or if you dined out with me um never never go sharing with me um so i start my first job full-time job was as a pizza delivery driver in snappy tomato pizza huntley street aberdeen back in the late 80s what took you to aberdeen university all oh, right okay uh, briefly I okay. attended university for a couple of years, decided it wasn't for me, and okay. uh, and then lived eight years in the end in Aberdeen. Great city. Love Brilliant. It. Yeah. Is it true they're a little bit more on the door side or nice people? No, you not found at it all. was good? Not at all. It's yeah. the biggest biggest village in Scotland. Okay. Because you could walk down Union Street on a Saturday and meet 20 people you know. Right. Uh, it was just, I loved it. Loved every minute of it. Met my now wife of 27 years in Aberdeen. Right. Um, yeah. Would, wouldn't necessarily go back in a hurry. It has one downside. Mm-hmm. The sun never shines. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and even if it does, it's still freezing. Yes. So, you know, polar bears nicking your scarf on the beach and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, delivery driver, what were you sort of seeing there? What was what was happening it was back then? Kind of, this was pre-really pre Pizza Hut and Domino's, mm-hmm. you know, dominating that market. Um, so, we were incredibly busy. We were doing two and a half, three thousand pizzas a week. Back in the late 80s, we had 14 vans on the road on a Saturday night. It was just really exciting. I loved it. I loved driving, uh, which is why my current job is quite cool. Uh, <laughs> I love cars. So it was cars and food, uh, and it gave me money, which I needed to pay off my vast overdraft from my two years of being a student. So, <laughs> student loans? Was a student loan no back student, then? No, no, it was all paid for. Oh, but uh, they, unfortunately, it didn't stretch to a grant for beer. So, uh, <laughs> so that's where, the, that's where the, the large overdraft came from. So... Then from Aberdeen, where were you going after that? Well, I worked my way through that business, ended up running a couple of units, uh, which was great. Uh, And then I was about to get married back in the early 90s, uh, the tender age of 24, and decided I needed a grown-up job. So I ended up in computer retailing, of all things. So I worked for a German computer retailer called Escom. And that was another, it was a kind of crest of a wave because it was the boom in, in home computers. Mm-hmm. Incredibly busy business. What did you learn from that? Was it, was it a sales role or? It was a shop manager, then an area manager role. Mm-hmm. And we did a bit of direct business to business stuff as well. So really, really retailing, if you mm-hmm. like, in the, in the front of house and back of house sense of retailing, which many similarities to, to food and beverage, mm-hmm. but, but just different and, and fun. So computers to... Uh, computers, I then went on to uh, my first role in Yum Brands. So, uh-huh. you know, the Yum Group globally, big, big business. And I came in as an area manager for KFC. And this is the point at which we moved to the northwest. So I'd gone from Aberdeen now down to the northwest. I should have said I was born in Essex, brought up in Wales, and then moved to Aberdeen. So <laughs> Sorry, you went to the southwest. That's not bit... the northwest. <laughs> <laughs> northwest of England, southwest, just south of where you're. Uh, you hail from so <laughs> and and that was a real insight a real baptism of fire tough mm. times in kfc back in the mid 90s um but really taught me the ropes of working inside a much bigger organization mm. 
and you know the process and discipline that you need to have to run businesses of that scale and why was it tough what was going on at the time uh it was just kfc had been significantly underinvested in over many years so it was it was you wouldn't have recognized kfc really in those days versus what it is today it's mm-hmm. it's really gone through a, a rebirth over the last couple of decades yeah. uh positioning it much better so it was it was a tough and gritty business mm-hmm. um i remember taking on 12 restaurants uh i was told i had to open six more in the next 18 months uh, and i only had nine managers across my 12 restaurants right so you know it was it was tough i won't deny it it was yeah. one of the toughest roles i've ever done it was yeah. six seven days a week every week 12 hours a day um but you know i stuck with it mm-hmm. made a bit of progress i'm not going to say i cured everything you know i was still a young 20 odd year old mm-hmm. um but i did enough to uh to get me a role in the in the main office in 1998. So. And what other brands are in Yum Brands, just in case anyone? Yeah, so know. KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell oh, yeah. are, the, are the three big brands. I mean, there are a few other brands that they own in various parts of the world, particularly in Asia. There's a hot pot brand over in Asia. Okay. At one point, they owned A and W, the root beer company. Oh, I know. Yeah. Um, and Long John Silver's a fish concept, uh, okay. but they've been subsequently divested. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell. That's so. a fun name. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You gotta laugh. They'll go, yeah, they'll go mad on speak like a pirate day. Um, so yeah, so main office. Where's that? Is, is that sort of Chelsea, can we, or something like uh, that? Woking, Woking, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I had the delights of moving to the <laughs> south of England. Uh, we actually didn't move to Woking. We moved uh, over to Frimley and then worked mm-hmm. in Woking for a couple of years as a central ops manager, mm-hmm. looking after all the big programs in operations, and and that was a great role. Two years in the office and I was the operations contact on pretty much every project mm-hmm. so I got to learn all about marketing development finance HR yeah. excellent really really good that's a, a role that actually we've just created in Roadchef this year so brilliant so you've sort of pulled that yeah. learning through yeah so you you'd, you'd learned all this stuff mm-hmm. you know what made you sort of go somewhere else where you, do you feel you know you'd sort of done what you needed to do or was there no, a more I mean, exciting I, opportunity I, I didn't really want to leave yum yum mm. was a fantastic business for me a lot of great sponsors in the business and i think that's a really important thing that you need sponsors to yeah. get you through a business because it never all goes your way yeah uh, and martin Schuker, uh who was running kfc at the time and graham allen who was uh, in yum in europe at the time mm. you know great sponsors of mine and really helped me so i i wanted to stick around so i became a regional director and then it was with them that I went over to Madrid and uh, started our, our family's exciting six years in uh, in Europe. So we did three years That's in Madrid right. and three years in Geneva. So And um, what about, just going back a point, because I think it's an important point for people, what is, you know, the sponsors, the sponsorship thing, and how do you go about that? Because I think that could help a lot of people. I mean, for me, it wasn't a conscious, I, I didn't realise I needed a sponsor, obviously, because mm. I was young and I knew everything. Um, but, uh, you know, Martin... I can't imagine that one. Martin basically <laughs> saw something in me that he, he thought was worth nurturing. And he, I guess the main thing he did was, was speak truth to me, yeah. first of all, to make sure that when I was being stupid, he, <laughs> he basically made sure I knew it. Uh, but also, you know, opening doors. And it was him that actually took me, I met him, he was marketing director in the UK, and then moved over to Europe. And it was him that took me over to Europe as a franchise director, Yeah, uh, to Madrid, because he just wanted somebody who could get stuff done. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I think I'd demonstrated is I can get stuff done. So. And, and what was the sort of structure of that sponsorship then? Mm. Was there regular meetings, or you just checked in with each other? Or what happened there? No, not it was pretty informal. Mm-hmm. It was just that, and I, I, I look at it now and know that that's what happened. At the time, I don't think I was even that conscious of it. Right. There was just this guy who was more senior than me, 
who just seemed to believe that you know i was i was one of the good guys mm -hmm. and kind of moved stuff in the background to to make it work for me yeah and um, is it similar to mentorship or is it more is it just less formal yeah i think i think it's just less formal mm. it's like an informal mentorship and i think particularly when they're inside your own business they are doing a little bit more than just developing you they they are opening some doors and closing some other avenues down to steer you yeah. you know in the background yeah. uh, whereas a mentor needn't be doing that they can be completely external yeah um, i think both are valuable but uh, yeah. you know I, I definitely benefited from them but there's there was no need or onus in them for really to do that was there no, I mean, as now, you know, now that I'm an old chap, um, <laughs> you know, I look at it and, and I can see why they might have done it. Because yeah. when you see somebody in your organization that appears to be able to get stuff done and doesn't necessarily shatter every egg on the way to making the omelette, mm. then, you know, you tend to get behind them. Because yeah. you know that in certainly in businesses like we run with three and a half thousand employees, you need lots of people who can get stuff done because yeah. otherwise nothing happens. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see why they why they did it. I'm not saying they did it entirely selfishly. Perhaps they were <laughs> altruistic in their approach, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not complaining either way. Yeah, just hoping to go to heaven. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> and, and then what about Madrid? Then what what are the fundamental differences of the market? Did the brand have to adapt or change? You know what was going on there? Yeah, I mean it it did because clearly dining habits are are really very different. Not least the time of day that the Spaniards mm. uh, choose to eat. I always remember going over there and asking what time the restaurant opened and was told nine o'clock and i said well, okay can i book a table at nine and they said, i'm sorry the first table's available at 11 40 that's to sit down for dinner at 11 40 p.m wow. and i was like mm. um but to be honest you know when you have a, a global brand like pizza you also have to realize and kfc for that matter you also have to realize that people are attracted to it for what it is mm. um you know and and not to change it radically so yes there were some uh, interesting additions to the menu but the core products of the pan pizza and the and the original recipe chicken and mm. zingers that was all all there but just with some stuff around the edges um and some very wacky trading hours yeah <laughs> well do you know just as an aside just when you're saying about zinger um i, I was out over in kiev last week uh speaking <laughs> and it was, it was brilliant right you treat like a rock star and you know really looked after and great anyway i was doing some interviews with like sort of local and national media <clears throat> and they did quick fire questions and one of their questions was mcdonald's or kfc mm -hmm. and it took me so long to answer and then i was like Oof. well the only reason was i think it was like that some you know the mcdonald's it was just it was a beef chicken thing but mm. yeah zinger won out but it was just yeah. like yeah it was just so like, like that it's carried that you don't expect that as a question when you're in kiev no. You know, no. but. Well, I mean, you talk about Kiev, and you uh, talk about chicken. Yeah, uh, I remember once meeting. I, I'm, I'll get her name wrong. I think it's Kathy Thompson, right? Uh, and she worked. I don't know. She might still work for Marks and Spencers. Okay. And she was the lady that brought the chicken Kiev to uh, to Britain. And when I, I met her a few years ago, and she'd been there since 1976. Blimey. So she brought the Kiev to, to England. <laughs> That's her fame. That's her fame. Well, <laughs> I, I, I did see it on some menus, so I yeah. was quite pleased that, yeah. you know, um, they, they sort of... It's real. Yeah, they, they were embracing <laughs> it, you know, which was quite good. Um, ironically, I had a white Russian over there as well. Um, but anyway... You don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no, no, I ordered it very quietly. Um, so, yeah, so, so Madrid yep. and Geneva, and what was it like in Geneva? 
Uh, I love Geneva. Beautiful place. Oh, yeah. We lived uh, really quite close to the lake and we could go skiing. It was a fantastic family place to live. The downside for me was that at that point we had no businesses in Switzerland, simply an office, right? Uh, which I didn't go to very often. So my, most of my time actually in that era, which was 2004 to six, I was in Russia. Okay. So uh, there's a group of us trying to close a transaction to acquire a big business in Russia. So I, I literally had annual visas and I was there pretty much every week if not every other week for two years so and my wife didn't see much of me so yeah Yeah. that's a shame that's a shame but yeah beautiful country beautiful Beautiful, place and then after that then stayed with Yum and Uh uh, came back to the UK for KFC again Martin was now back in the UK and Mm -hmm. he brought me back to the UK Uh, I'm business development director so kind of real estate property Mm -hmm. new units all that kind of stuff franchise uh, strategy so that was great but that was the point where I think I was approaching 40, kind of late 30s, mm-hmm. and it was like, right, I need to be a managing director. So that was when I decided I needed to spread my wings. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yum couldn't offer me anything because KFC and Pizza were too big. So I took a role uh, to backfill the MD of Restaurant Associates, part of the Compass Group. Okay. Fine dining part of, of Compass uh, Contract Catering. Uh-huh. Uh, I joined that business, which largely catered to the Wharf, um, uh, Credit Suisse, Barclays Capital, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I moved in in December two thousand and eight. Okay. Mm, September two thousand and eight, there was ideal. a bit of a change. Yeah. So it's fair to say it was a baptism of fire. But uh, I actually enjoyed it. I mean, the food is unbelievable. Right. I mean, the guys in there, some of the chefs were absolutely fantastic. And what what type of things were they doing? I mean. Proper I mean, high-end. High, high-end, Michelin-starred type stuff, um, right the way through to employee dining. But it's, you know, white-collar employee dining. Yes. So, you know, in Namura and these big banks, 2,000-plus yeah. covers at lunchtime. Big, big, big catering, but high-quality catering. So, I really, the food side I loved, quite different for me. You know, contract Definitely. catering versus uh, branded retail, you know, quite tough. But then I was only in three, four months, and... Uh, Jens Hoffmer, who's now obviously the, the CEO of Pizza Hut Restaurants, he was running Pizza Hut at the time, and he decided to split Pizza Hut into delivery and dine-in. Yeah. And he said, hey, come back and, and run delivery, which okay. was the right size of business for me as a first general management, you know, managing director position. So, you know, I never wanted to leave Yum. Yeah. Uh, so I jumped at the chance, and I was back with, so I was only at Compass for nine months. So Yeah. Was, Isn't that funny, though, you've went back to the yeah. start as well? I know, That's a beautiful pizza. thing. Yeah. yeah. No, it was... And loved it. I mean, Pizza Hut Delivery had become the, very much the underdog to Domino's in sure. the market, um, having been ahead of Domino's at one point back in the 80s. Um, and had a great team, got the chance to build a team uh, from scratch, effectively. Mm-hmm. And we made some inroads, it's fair to say. We built a lot of units, we refurbished a lot, we changed mm-hmm. a lot of the ways we did things. Uh, and it's good to see that they've continued to go from, from strength to strength. But yeah. in what is a hugely competitive market and dominoes you know do a an outstandingly powerful job uh in in owning it essentially so yeah. but you know never write the pizza guys off it's been around for a lot longer than just about anything else yeah yeah well i, I think what's interesting as well is yen's thought about splitting the business right because mm. i think so many people get this wrong yeah. and then with some businesses i've been with and, and other businesses i've been working with and just seen it in the market you can't do everything in one yeah. business because you've got tickle and takeaway, dabbling in delivery, and yeah. you've got your main business. And also, it's the hearts and minds of the employees. And I remember being at Yo, the restaurant managers hated, hmm. absolutely hated 
doing stuff for delivery. I mean, that was back yeah. then. It may have changed now, but it was a culture. But, but I think it's come full circle, right? So if you look at businesses now with the advent of, of Deliveroo and the mm. home delivery business, you know, that that's a challenge. And I know mm. talking to some of the guys, they're now building separate entrances oh, for yeah. the drivers to come into so that you don't end up bumping into a load of crash helmets as you come in to yeah. dine. Um, it's but even so, thing, you're still it? competing, right? I mean, yeah. Pizza Hut had already identified this because they used to do delivery out of restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was all being stripped out during this time uh, because they understood that it was just too competitive and there were too many compromises being made on delivery or dining. Yeah. Uh, but Jens took it a stage further and said, actually, the disciplines you need to run this business are completely different from a marketing point of view, from a understanding the consumer product evolution. You know, they're, they're just different marketplaces. Yeah. So he he went the whole hog and split the business in half, yeah. effectively. Um which was great until I got the call and uh, we had to sell the restaurant businesses. Okay. And Yum was retaining the delivery business and selling the restaurant businesses, franchising it. Um, but the great news was that Jens and the rest of my colleagues on the management team were the ones that were buying it. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> In conjunction with the private equity uh, investment. So well, that, makes sense. that was an interesting period, selling you know, half the business to your <laughs> well i stayed see so i stayed within yum and they all became my biggest franchisee so yeah. they came, went from board board colleague to franchisee <laughs> and then what what was the final things happening there then before you moved on in terms of the delivery business uh well we were just adding new franchisees and trying to get the growth rates up mm-hmm. i think we were up around the 40 to 60 new sites a year which was wow. pretty encouraging um, how many seats is there roughly oh these days i think they're up over 500 uh, oh, and yeah, is that this uh just the delivery yeah they did the, yeah, the bespoke yeah, yeah i know they're they're playing around with some dine-in delivery units so there's a kind of oh, casual right. take it from the counter and sit Have and eat seat. it out of the box in dine-in so which is actually something we had in spain back in the in the early 2000s delex yeah. they called it well, it, it wasn't so much a drive to go away. I mean, that, that year of, of the transition to having my friends become my franchisees, um, you know, definitely was, was a tough year. But I got approached uh, to go and run Starbucks in the UK. Mm-hmm. And who would, you know, look at that and go, no thanks. I mean, of course, yeah. you're going you're gonna to look at it. And after 17 interviews... Was um, that right? Is that how many? Yeah, I mean, it's a thorough process, Jeez. let's just say. In fact, I did 18 And you still interviews. go through? Yeah, well, they flew me to Seattle for one day. So I landed at eight o'clock or seven o'clock at night and was gone by five the next evening. So I was there for less than 24 hours. And in that time, I had eight interviews. Oh, my God. um, One of which was with um, with Howard, one with uh, Troy, who was the then CFO. um, And I had a I had a cold. So it was I am amazed that they hired me. Not ideal. Yeah. (laughs) Jeez. I'm just trying to think how far you can string out 17 interviews, lie detectors, Pretty much. DNA. <laughs> yeah, no, I can still feel where the clamps were today. <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was a thorough process. And it was Chris Ensko, who was the then president of Europe, who I spent a lot of time with him. And yeah. when I say interview, it was like a half day out in, out in the sites. But I love that. So yeah. I think that's what got it. And in fact, I went through a similar but shorter process to get the role with, with Roadchef. So yeah. Simon and I spent a lot of time out in the, in the sites and... For me, that's where you you need to keep spending time, regardless of your position. Yeah. What about the Starbucks phenomenon? Then, I mean, <laughs> I'm a massive fan. A lot of people will. It's kind of like Coldplay, right? A lot of people will say they're too yeah. cool to like that. I don't know what you couldn't like. I mean, I know there's some other things, but <laughs> the, the brand itself, coffee, Pike Place yeah. Coffee, being in there, and and actually, I feel that like the product and the experience 
is almost heightened when you're in the US, you yeah, know. Um, absolutely. But, I, you know, it's just incredible. So what did you learn about the brand and the marketing and, and all these things when you were there? I mean, just that sometimes, well, two things, really. The one thing that Howard said, which is that you, you never ask customers what it is they want as part of your innovation process because they don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to innovate and show them stuff that they didn't even know they wanted and those will be the most successful innovations. I thought yeah. that was an interesting thing. I mean, they really do, as a brand, relatively little in terms of consumer research. Yeah. they don't. It's not that they don't listen to the consumer, but they don't do a lot of research to find out about what the future should look mm-hmm. like. Um, and then the other one, which is sometimes you have to invest in your brand beyond logic um, and it's quite interesting because I remember I, I characterize historically in my time the young business as being very disciplined, very organized, really understood the, the rates of returns it was receiving from investments, be they in real estate or marketing. Mm-hmm. And I characterize Starbucks in my time there as, as being the artist with the palette and the, and the, you know, the gitan hanging out of the mouth <laughs> and the beret and just being flamboyant and doing what felt right and what was going to have the most impact. Yeah. And, you know, and I can now remember some of the marketing guys, you know, uh, in the KFC world advocating some of this behavior that I subsequently witnessed in Starbucks. But the business going, no, 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 show me the IRR. And I I actually, you know, in a way, I think sometimes Starbucks goes too far one way Mm -hmm. and and KFC used to be sometimes too far the other way. And somewhere in the middle has got to be great where you really do invest in your brand, but you really think very carefully about where you're going to make those big investments that aren't going to give you a return in standalone but they build something into your brand that when you see the loyalty in the u.s uh, to starbucks it's just ridiculous i mean almost scary it's a cult yeah and and to pull off that trick of being a mass cult yeah is such a big deal but you've got to i mean you know the 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 vision for the company to inspire and nurture the human spirit you know one person one cup one neighborhood at a time i mean the fact that i still remember it i think yeah is testament to how powerful a statement that is, but also the fact that everyone in the organization, to some degree or other, believes it and tries to live it. Mm. And that, that to me, is a big thing about brand. It's much beyond the the logo oh, yeah. the product the you know it's it's who are you what do you stand for why are you there what's your purpose i think also just on that point it makes me feel sick a little bit when you, when you repeat the the starbucks thing because <laughs> so copied you know yeah. like you go into brand sessions and you know do a few of these and we might have done one of those. Are we made one of those? Sorry, before disclosure. Um, but you know they, they come in and, and and you know someone says oh do you know what we're you know one Brussels sprout at a time, you know, changing communities, <laughs> and you're like, oh, Christ, really? Well, and, you know, they've read a book somewhere, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, God. So <laughs> I, I think that's uh, um, flattering for mm. Starbucks in that it is much copied, you yeah. know. No, absolutely. And, limited. you know, they just do a brilliant job. When they go to town, they go to town. Mm. I mean, if you've not visited any of their roastery sites around the world, you know, I would strongly suggest you do. Yeah. They are unbelievably amazing. Yeah. And what were the main learnings then that you took away from Starbucks before your next role? Yeah, I mean, I think largely they related to investing in your brand, really thinking about your consumer and trying to get ahead of what your consumer might want and then Mm. investing strongly and deliberately in the things that you truly believe are going to make the biggest difference and have a very clear reason why you're doing it. What is your purpose? Mm -hmm. That's really what I took. And, you know, they were reasonably disciplined as well, but, you know, a lot of my 
process and discipline came from my yum days and then the marketing side more from the from the starbucks days yeah from supersonic inc this is the mark mcsee supersonic marketing podcast Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is brought to you by the good folk at BDO. BDO have been long-term supporters of the hospitality sector and they are really passionate about supporting innovative entrepreneurs on their journeys and they also want to give you the right advice and support to grow your business. Just in case you don't know, BDO provides tailored advice to the sector across corporate finance, due diligence, tax and all accounting matters. BDO work tirelessly to give their clients the advice that they need when they need it to succeed. For more information on BDO and how they can take your business to the top, go to bdo.co.uk. Hashtag ad. Where next after that? Well, to one of your former interviewees, Mr. Bill Collison yes. and his empire of Bill's restaurants. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, my first foray into Real casual dining, if mm-hmm. you like. I mean, Pizza Hut, yes, casual dining, arguably the the birth of casual dining mm-hmm. uh, in the UK. But Bill's, you know, a, a different level. And, yeah, lovely business. I mean, I, I've always admired that business from the outside. Oh, so yeah. to have the opportunity to go and work within the business, and in particular with Bill, was uh, was fantastic. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still a big fan of the business today. Oh, it's brilliant. Big learnings there. What, what did you sort of do, stroke takeaway from that? Yeah, I mean, first time that I'd worked in a in a truly private held company, so mm-hmm. that you know comes with uh, with a different way of working. Mm-hmm. That was definitely a learning. Uh, I think in terms of the the consumer, I mean, the fact that we have such a long contact time in bills, mm-hmm. you know, really thinking about every part of the experience rather than you know QSR, you are very much more focused on the functional end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. taking into account some emotional needs of consumers. Whereas almost in casual dining, the emotional needs come first yeah. and then the functional needs come, come later. So really broadening out. And actually that's been really helpful because I think there's no reason why you can't think more about the emotional needs of consumers in a shorter dwell time business. Yeah. And the more you do, actually, you might find you, you drive an advantage for yourself. Yeah. And then with that, you know, big refurb programs were going on. Um, so, I mean, you were learning a lot there as well, were you? In terms learned of- a lot from Bill. I yeah. mean... Bill and aesthetics, I mean, he was very modest. I heard him on your podcast. Yeah. He's very modest. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy's eye for what's going to look great. Um, I mean, actually, the refurbishments really started uh, as I was leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we were seriously considering at one point setting up a website to sell the furniture, light oh, yeah. fittings, and everything that Bill was sourcing mm-hmm. because so many customers, this is before the refits, were coming in and saying, we love it, where can we buy it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it just wasn't practical because, as Bill himself mentioned, he went to Ardingly and places to buy it, and it, they were one-offs in yeah. many cases. But uh, you know, I think that that eye for the aesthetics is something I can't say I've adopted it. I, I now appreciate it. I know I need to find people who've got it. It's yeah. not me. Yeah, yeah. You know, my wife doesn't let me touch anything. In that <laughs> well, I, I think I remember Bill saying that it was almost like lots of mini sets. Yeah. You know, he was almost doing the, the camera thing with the hands to to sort of frame. Yeah. that and see well that although when you look round it looks very eclectic yeah. it's actually when you look at it one by one by one by it's one very deliberate yeah it's just actually quite quite deliberate but it's just not easy no 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 he's, <laughs> he he's, makes it look dead easy i mean he even did it with vegetables i mean yeah yeah he, he can make vegetables look attractive that's what that's what made him stand out as a greengrocer yeah so. 
So from there, from there uh, into Road Chef. And what did you find when you arrived? I was surprised actually. I think I'm probably like many fifty-ish uh, year old people in the UK that mm. that particularly those living in the southeast who often work in London. I hadn't really used motorway service areas since probably the early 90s when I was kind of more field-based and they changed a lot I mean a lot a lot the quality was much much higher there were more brands in there just the overall ambience was much more managed and invested in Mm -hmm. so I was really impressed by that but more impressed by the people Um, I mean Simon and I went around eight nine sites in two half days of visits and just the engagement he was having with some of the people and then watching the operations. I mean, I'm an operator by heart, so I watch people in, in the operation and mm-hmm. how they're interacting with one another. I got the feeling of a, of a together group of people who were delivering pretty decent op standards. And that, for me, is nine-tenths of the battle mm-hmm. in, in any consumer-facing business is having a team of people that can deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I've joined the business, I've definitely found that. I mean, we've got 3,500 employees uh, IIP Gold Accreditation, which is we're the only services uh, operator that has that. Mm-hmm. Um, is that investors and people? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's uh, we're actually going through the reaccreditation right now. Um, and Richard and his uh, senior ops team, an amazing bunch of guys who mm-hmm. are so committed to the cause. Um, so that was a great platform. And mm-hmm. Simon had taken the business from a pretty tough place through the current owners Antin infrastructure partners they've invested really heavily in the business to bring all of the assets up to standard mm-hmm. uh, and i feel you know there's those times in your career where you like a surfer you just feel like you've caught quite a good wave <laughs> yeah i feel like i'm on one and you know the secret is staying on top of it and mm-hmm. uh, not falling underneath the, the crest <laughs> as it as it bends over and then uh, you gave as a call so mm-hmm. you know fessing up myself and robert yep. sort of came in and helped so what were you thinking around then what did you see the, the challenges ahead and the problems well for me what it was was what i mentioned uh, i felt very strongly in starbucks which was being really clear about what we who we are what we want to achieve mm-hmm. um and you know it stems for me i i use two models uh, one very well-known uh, 1960s human uh, behavioural model, Maslow's Hierarchy of Human Needs. Sure. I mean, I think that is a fantastic model to always have in your mind when you're trying to figure out how people are going to react or why they're reacting in a way they are mm-hmm. uh, and what you can do to make them feel better about themselves. And then the other is my own model. has four pieces. Uh, success sits in the middle. And to get to success, you need clarity, you need capability, you need resources and motivation. And for me... We had loads of capability. Mm-hmm. Uh, it appeared we had lots of motivation. Uh, we were not bad off for resources, mm. but perhaps the one thing we lacked was a bit of clarity. Okay. As to something, a, a rallying cry around which we could all um, kind of get together and which would direct how we evolved the business because it's clear that that's a market that's, that's going through evolution. So we needed to have some, some guardrails to show us if you're going to innovate what are you going to end up with at the end? What are you trying to to get get at the end? Which is, you know, with your help and Robert's help, we got to our our revised mission, vision, and values, which yeah. uh, are, I'm glad to say, alive and well today after being launched back in April last year. Well, yeah, year. I say last year. It's nearly last year. Nearly last year. Well, I, I saw. Um, I was quite just heartened on LinkedIn. I think I saw Laura, the mm-hmm. HR leader, um, 
you know, talk, talking about it in, mm. in the post, and it was like, well, that's good because you know you do do these things a lot of the time, and people do it to tick a box and then put it in a drawer. Yeah, you know, and it's such a shame because you want to see it live. So that was great. Totally. To and see the beauty that. was, it was so simple. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, we we drank a lot to get there. But <laughs> was, Some more than others, a, I yeah, have okay. to say. Yeah, you were very. There was a couple of four EFs. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, just getting to something that's that crisp. Mm. Uh, you know, just making the roads uh, safer and happier, nice and simple, de-stressing and delighting the customers. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we hear it all the time now when people are pulling themselves or others up for perhaps not behaving in the way that's that's appropriate for our mm-hmm. values. They say that's not very cup. So, yeah. you know, the caring, uncomplicated and positively obsessive. I mean, yeah. it's just great to hear them, you know, using the terminology yeah. uh, in real life. So Yeah. Oh, no, that's a win, definitely. Yeah. But there's very few that, that do that, Yeah, which is good. So then once you go in there, hmm. what about attracting the right offers within there? So, you hmm. know, you've got Pretz and Leons and hmm. all the rest of it. However, when you do go into service stations, you do tend to see... Mm-hmm. the mcdonald's the kfc's yeah. burger kings whatever with long queues yeah. and the other ones maybe not yeah. so much how did you tackle that well that had already begun before i got there because pret and leon were both in situ mm-hmm. prior to my arrival um and i think simon was very clear i'm very clear that we need to go the next step i think historically motorway service areas if you look back there's a great video by the way on bbc ideas uh, it's an archive okay. uh, produced video uh, which is all about the history of motorway service areas. So yeah. way back in 1959, when the first services opened, uh, Blue Boar on the M1, which is now Watford Gap, which we own, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was dine-in silver service. And, you know, people went... It was an aspirational idea to get in your Oxford-Cambridge or whatever, and, or Oxford? Austin-Cambridge, and get <laughs> on, the, uh, on the motorway. Yeah. And there were 10 cars on the motorway, and you'd go to the restaurant on the side of the road. So it's super glamorous, yeah. and then it's been through the 70s, 80s, had some pretty tough times, and I think pretty much all of the operators financially found it really tough at some point in the last few decades. We then got back to a point of fulfilling everyone's functional needs, and I think mm. we're, we're there or thereabouts in every service station of any brand in the UK right now, and we're now getting into, okay, so beyond what you need, mm. what would you really want? Yeah. And I think Simon saw that, hence was looking to get some of their newer and more aspirational brands like Pratt and Leon into the sites. Uh, and so far it's going really well. I mean, Leon in particular, mm. we've, we've signed a, a new five-year exclusive deal with the Leon guys on the motorway yeah. network. And, uh, you know, we're, we've got four now and we're about to have six um, and we're going to have more. So yeah. it, that's, that's, it's really interesting to see. And, and it's not just the, you know, the vegetarians, the vegans, mm-hmm. the gluten intolerance and the, you know, higher demographic people yeah. that are in the queue at Leon. I was there with a Scottish lorry driver. There I you mean, go. he was using his £10 voucher to buy himself some porridge. Of course. Now, if a Scotsman's buying porridge, yeah. you've got to say, your porridge has got to be good. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, or it'll get thrown back at you. And we've been delighted <laughs> by, by how well that brand in particular has been has yeah. been received. So we're now, all, I think the way this is going to go, a bit like the food halls are gaining a lot of... Um, mm of momentum in in the broader retail market for me uh, an eclectic and and procured group of brands mm-hmm. and offers site by site is the key and the big challenge for us which it is for all retailers to some degree is really getting to understand who the consumer is yeah. in each service station because it's different and mm-hmm. in certain service stations it's very different in august than it is in february yeah 
Yeah. If you go on the M5, first of all, we have four times more people coming through the doors in August than we do in February, mm. which in and of itself brings its challenges. Mm-hmm. But equally, it's a very southeast London set uh, yeah. bias in August, and it's all locals in, in February. Yeah. So finding ways to understand who's there, understand the occasion that brings them there, and understand what their need states are so that we can find brands that cater to those need states. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting conundrum, far too complicated for me, which is why, uh, <laughs> why we've hired uh, Daryl Wade uh, in as our chief commercial officer, and yep. he's working his way through that right now. And what about new sites? Mm-hmm. You know, how long does it take? Because it, <laughs> it's a lot more complicated yeah. than just taking a unit, right? Well, some sites, there, there, are, there are many stories of, of some sites in Cobham and Beaconsfield that are currently operated by Extra, mm-hmm. who, who's different because they're not an operator, they're a landlord, so okay. they lease out the sites. We operate all of ours. Uh, I mean, they, they took you know, close to 20 years, I think, in some cases, and indeed bankrupted the, the company developing at one point. Yeah. Um, cost £80 million or something. I mean, huge. Yeah. Thankfully, they don't all take that long, but it, it's a multi-year process. You know, we we have been looking at two sites on the A1. Uh, we're in for planning at the moment. Uh, that's probably a year and a half to get to this point. We'll know next year whether they're approved, and then they'll take probably two years to build. Mm. So it's a, it's a long process, but yeah. then you know it's thirty, forty, fifty million pounds. So you want to take your time. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> and then, do you think something like a food hall? Let's say you dropped a street feast in there or a market mm. halls. Or, is that going too far for the consumer? I, I think road? right now it is because, mm. to your point, you know, McDonald's and Costa still have big queues. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you know, McDonald's is one of our faster growing uh, businesses within yeah. our portfolio at the moment. So, uh, thanks to the fantastic job they do from a marketing and technology point of view yeah. in particular. Um, but I, I do think as time goes on that the mix will get broader. But what I think it won't be is what it has been historically, which is the same mix in every location. Mm-hmm. I think we will see different brands for different sites based on who's using those sites because they are very different. Clackett Lane has got nothing much in common with Strencham on the M5. Yeah. Really different places. And just going back to the brand stuff, you know, how on a daily basis are you keeping people motivated as well? Because, mm. you know, it is a bit of a unique life, I suppose, working in mm. service stations and the hours and, you know, all that kind of stuff. How, how mm. What do you do from an HR perspective there? Gosh, we've got a very comprehensive benefits package. So I think there's a basics level, which mm. is, you know, make sure your pay is reasonably competitive. We always, our base rates are always above the national uh, minimum wage or living wage in any given age group. Mm-hmm. We then have a benefits package of discounts. You have now a Hooray. discount card, which we <laughs> offer not only to our staff, but to their uh, one of their family members as well. Wage stream, we've just recently recently launched. So that's mm-hmm. this, you know, get an advance on your pay to cover any unexpected bills. You know, we have healthcare programs. We have company cards for those. That, you know, we have quite a comprehensive basic package so mm-hmm. that the, you shouldn't have any issues in the base end. Yeah. Then we have this amazing program that's been going now. It's in its 11th year called Everyday Heroes. Okay. So that enables anyone in the business to recognize anyone else uh, for something they've done that's great. Mm-hmm. So And they can give them a check there and then that they can basically cash um, uh, within the business. Uh, or they can commend them and then I write them a letter. Mm-hmm. Um, more more important, I sign a letter. But I do actually <laughs> yeah. read every letter. Yeah, yeah. And I must sign 100 plus of those a month. Wow. Um, and then once a year we hold a massive event where we get all of the people that have received a commendation during the year together and we recognise the best of the best. And this can be 
from business stuff but actually one year it was somebody who who suspected there were some migrants locked in the back of a lorry and alerted the police and effectively freed the people and potentially saved their lives wow. so i mean some big stuff i mean it all happens on motorway service Jeez. areas um and i think that's that's a real help that's a kind of ingrained program mm. and then it's just being there mm-hmm. i mean as i say i mean i'm i'm out and about all the time yesterday i was down in strencham recognizing phil who has just completed 30 years he's now 70 Jeez. working in our wh smith down in strencham services and talking about his aec 1937 7.7 liter truck that does 30 miles an hour and that he's going to drive to john o'groats you know it's like it's just talking yeah. to people I mean, at the end of the day, Maslow's hierarchy, right? I go back to Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah. If you care about people, that's going to be a big part of how motivated they feel. I remember uh, we had a project uh, with a B2B uh, company about chefs, Mm. and we took Maslow's hierarchy and flipped it on its head for chefs. (laughs) Chefs are are a unique brand. (laughs) So it was like self-actualization first, (laughs) and then then if they get some shelter and are still alive, then great, but it was all the other stuff. For clarity, I love chefs. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't eat a whole one. Couldn't eat a whole one, yeah. Um, And then I was going to ask you about um, brand standout, right? Mm. You're in quite a unique market Mm. where... There's a lot of functional needs mm. and just how you create brand preference, how you get people to, you know, turn off. Mm. But you've also got some other issues, right, where you can't directly put mm-hmm. cars on the road, right? Correct, yeah. It's quite complicated and a fine line, isn't it? It is. And what's interesting is, you know, there's tons of research that shows that even when questioned when standing in the site, mm. a consumer could not tell you who operated that site. So that kind of tells you that there's very limited brand recognition of the operator on the top of the board. Yeah. And oftentimes they have turned in because they saw the brand underneath. So it was a Costa, a Starbucks, a Burger King, a McDonald's. Um, I'm, I'm not so worried at this stage about that mm. because I think we have a great portfolio of brands. I think we have the best portfolio of brands and I haven't finished building the portfolio. We've got a couple of exciting ones launching in the early part of next year that I would have to shoot you if I told you. Oh, no, that's fine. So, um, <laughs> Come back on. It's, uh, I, in the fullness of time, I think as we differentiate the offer, mm. I think the brand at the top will become more memorable if you see what I mean. Cause for me, a brand is a promise. Yeah. And if everywhere you go, there's a burger place, a coffee place, a WH Smith, then why would you distinguish who's operating it? Because they yeah. all are offering broadly the same thing, albeit with different brands. I think as that gets further and further apart, I think there'll be a reason to remember who operates that place. And I mm. think the one that highlights this would be would be Westmoreland who operate T Bay and Gloucester. Yeah. They're very different service stations. They, they 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 don't follow the the model of the remainder of the service uh, area population. Mm. And people remember them. Yeah. People remember T Bay and they remember Gloucester because yeah. they're different. I think we will become increasingly different and then people will remember Road Chef. Yeah. If we yeah. continue to call it Road Chef, who knows? We could call it something else. Oh, exciting. Yeah. Foxy Storm. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, let's let's keep that one in our back pocket. <laughs> um, something that's interesting, it's not really on Gabby's lovely questions, mm. um, but through knowing you, you are really into the coaching side mm. and the you know the mental health side and the mm. development side and all these kind of things. I mean, I, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, of how you... I've been coached and then how Mm. you're coaching people too. I think that's really, really important. I mean, I guess for me, having spent 17 years working within the YUM portfolio, I think the thing that YUM 
does really well mm. is people. Yeah. Yes, they've got some of the biggest brands in the world, and yes, they've got process and discipline and systems around P&Ls and, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. But actually, fundamentally, the bit that's different is people uh, in Yemen, their people processes. Um, and for me, when you look at our business with so many people involved, if you're not putting people up there, number one, then you're probably going to struggle. Yeah. Um, so I benefited from you know, the sponsorship we talked about, many training programs, mentorship programs, went through an amazing program called LSI, which really taught me a lot about myself, really tough, mm. um, but really taught me a lot about myself. Now branded as Heart Styles, Mara and Stephen Klemich, two of the most amazing humans on, on earth that run that program now. Um, and for me, I want to make sure that any business I'm responsible for, the people coming through that business have at least as many opportunities to develop themselves as I had. And that's got to be around, you know, their well-being and their ability to assimilate information. So we literally just this week, in fact, on Tuesday evening, launched our first high potential management group. So these are people who we see as being directors, board members of the future. Um, And we're now going to mentor them. And we've got an individual development plan being developed off the back of a development centre. We've got a leadership highway program for people one level below that. We've got a fast lane program for more people below that. Mm And all of these foundations for me are absolutely critical, topped up by just physical presence of senior leadership board members in the business on a regular basis, mm-hmm. letting people know we care. Yeah. And once you care about people, it's amazing what they'll do. And I think Simon Sinek has this great thing. If you want to be a great leader, first thing you want to do is look after the two people on your left and the two people on your right. And then you'll be amazed what happens. Yeah. Because if you think you can do it yourself, dream on. Yes, and I, I think I think it's just the the ego side of things, isn't yeah. it? And it's the, the the detachment. And once you've done that, I think taking feedback's hard, though. You yeah. know, but once you're open to it, and once you realise it's for the greater good of and you and well everyone intended, else, yeah. yeah, it's got to be well intended. I mean, yeah. the, going through that LSI program, five days off-site, Buxton, Derbyshire. You know, I had to drive to the top of a nearby hill and cry for a while. It was hard. Yeah. I mean, when you really find out about yourself, when you start to understand why you are who you are why you do what you do how people perceive you it's tough but you know come out the other side hopefully i'm a bit less of a tool than i used to be (laughs) (laughs) i think that's on your linkedin profile isn't it it should be i'm gonna put it on that (laughs) okay well i I need to let you go soon uh, because i know you've got stuff to do um so the last couple of things i was just going to ask you was a bit of fun so Mm. we've got a mark out of 10 section at the end Mm -hmm. so my first question was best city to eat in (sighs) gosh i mean factually i suppose it has to be london Mm. but i'm just i'm a i don't know what the right word is a spanophile i love spain could be yeah um and i'm I'm gonna have to say london or madrid okay and best restaurant ever well that's why i very carefully said london or madrid (laughs) because actually my personal favorite restaurant for any number of reasons is a restaurant called asador donos tiara Uh and it's in a in an area called tetuan just off the city center of madrid and it's a proper traditional spanish asador okay um and the types of dishes that serving well i mean mainly meat uh-huh. um i mean i wouldn't go there very often i eat relatively little red meat these days mm-hmm. i'm very flexitarian very good um, but you know chuleta de buey is a an ox fillet very briefly char grilled and then they bring you a hot stone and you cook it however you like it oh. covered in 
big chunks of rock salt. Lovely. And it's like dying and going to heaven. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> and then, favourite dish ever, if it's not that one? Is there something that you've really got in your mind? I go through phases, mm. and I have to say, for the last quite a while, I've got this mushroom and truffle thing going on. Okay. So I would have to say right now, either truffle mushroom mac and cheese, which uh, we used to do a nice one at Bill's. Very good. Uh, or I did a truffle mushroom lasagna the other day, uh-huh. which gives you a bit of carbs as well. Yeah, which yeah. Which is uh, and a bit creamy. Yeah, so truffles and mushrooms generally. And a little, a little bit of that kind of bechamel yeah. cheese sauce yeah, or just whatever. Just put yeah. truffles and mushrooms in anything, I'll eat it. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, go-to drink. <sighs> go-to drink, I mean... Yeah, if it's not red wine, which I do like, I would say dark rum. Okay. If it's a really good dark rum, just as it comes, just neat in a what, glass. What quantifies really good? Is there certain makes or Havana clubs? Some yeah, of the yeah. older kind of twelve, fourteen-year-old Havana yeah. clubs. Uh, that over ice or just straight? Just go straight. In. But if you if you're not up for the price of that, then just go a decent dark rum, ginger beer. And a really big squeeze of fresh lime. Very good. Lovely. Had it in the botanist in Newcastle not that long ago. Oh. Lovely. I was in there the other week. Um, uh, worked with a company called Arc Inspirations. They've mm-hmm. got the Banyan yeah. next door. Yeah. Um, so I was in that. But it's a lovely site. Up in the dome at the top. It's yeah. one of the most Instagrammed things, yeah. that, that dome. Yeah. Well, so, I introduced yeah. my chief operating officer to that exact drink in that bar. Ah. So he's now a, a fan. And, yeah, staggered out. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Very and then, responsible drinker. <laughs> and then what about worst restaurant that you would avoid or you've oh. had a really bad experience in? Or One of the downsides of being around for 30 years <laughs> is that if you mention one, you're going to get absolutely caned when yep, you walk out the that's door. that's the plan. But, so I'm going to pick one, which is a bit of a cheat, I accept. But the family and I were in Bern in Switzerland uh-huh. um, at one point. We were looking for a restaurant to have lunch. We walked into a Thai, we love Thai food, so we walked into a Thai restaurant and it was relatively dark. It was obviously open. Um, nobody really greeted us mm-hmm. until you know we were pretty much heading towards a table. They then sat us down and gave us menus and we were sitting there thinking, well, that wasn't a great start. I had a paper tablecloth and my son, he'll die to hear this, but he's he's kind of 24 25 now and he he just didn't do paper tablecloths i mean that sounds terrible right. he wasn't really a snob but he just <laughs> didn't like paper tablecloths so that wasn't a good start uh-huh. the, the poor uh, entry wasn't a good start and then we saw a footprint in the middle of the table uh, so i have to admit we just put the menus back on the table and walked out so <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, unexplained. that's the worst restaurant experience it's yeah, a little bit weird a little bit weird so the last thing I would say is, uh, you know, just to get one tip from you. So mm. just for anyone listening that's on their way up the career ladder or they are, you know, got designs on like you at 39-ish, mm. wanting to be the MD, and what's the best piece of advice you could really give them? It's a bit cryptic, but I would say stop. If, if you are trying to climb, stop trying to climb and start trying to do the best job you can bringing your people with you i mean i i think what my sponsors saw in me was that i was committed to the the job of getting stuff done and doing it well rather than committed to growing my career i think i meet you know younger up-and-comers and 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 sometimes they're like what do i need to do to get the the next job you know they're focused on the next job Mm. rather than 
in many ways, I my jobs grew. So I started with one job and bits got bolted on until fundamentally it became a different job and I got promoted. Yeah. And I think focus on being brilliant and being part of the team as best you can and you will find that the promotion comes rather yeah. than chase the promotion and ask what do I need to do to get that. Mm -hmm. That's just the output at the end rather than the goal. I think that's right. And, you know, I've been doing a bit of recruitment for different clients lately and that's the stuff you're getting back from the, mm. the millennials really is mm. um, what's the title? And it's mm. like, yeah. What's the title? What's the budget? Yeah. We'll get there. Well, yeah. It's yeah, asking the wrong question. And just you know, just look look after the two people to the left of you and the two people That's to the right. That's great advice. That's great advice. Mark, thanks so much for coming in. My it's pleasure. It's been a real pleasure to see you again. It's been too long. And um yeah, Merry Christmas. Oh no. <laughs> Only allowed from December first. I'm just desperate to see National Lampoons. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you. I wish you well. Thank you. And the Road Chef team as well. And uh, yeah, we'll catch up soon. Here we will. Thank, Thank you. you. So there you go, Mr. Mark Fox, live and direct, looking as groomed as ever. And thanks to Mark for bringing gifts and bringing lots of big energy to the podcast and lots of great advice too. A huge thanks to our sponsors, BDO, for all of their help and, of course, their support across all of the episodes since the podcast began. A huge thanks also to Gaz and Gabby, for hurriedly putting the podcast together every week. I really, really do appreciate it. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you. Thanks for listening. I really hope that this episode really will help your brand boom. <laughs>